Are you a 3PL spending more time and money than you'd like recruiting and onboarding logistics roles? Then it's time to check out Rapido Solutions Group, the leaders in nearshore logistics staffing. Located right next door in Mexico, they have access to the freight talent you need. From carrier sales to tracking and tracing and everything in between, they can do the heavy lifting for you. So if you're ready to get your time back and want to move fast, check out Rapido Solutions Group. Visit GoRapido.com to get started today. Hello and welcome to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics, the FreightWaves podcast highlighting founders doing it the way that doesn't get a lot of attention. We're here to change that and grow the small business community in our industry by sharing their stories and inspiring others to take the leap. I'm your host, Nate Schutz. Let's build something together from the ground up. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics. We have a special one today, special to me because the guest is somebody that I reached out to on Twitter. So you might be my very first I've only met you on Twitter guest. And I reached out to you very early, and it's taken us, I would say, almost nine months to get this on the book. So I feel like a journalist who finally got the scoop with the guests that they've been trying to, to get an interview with for a long time. So without any further ado, I am happy to get to introduce Austin Crines today, who is the founder and CEO of Atomics Logistics. Austin, good afternoon. Where are we finding you today, by the way? Thanks for having me on, Nate. Definitely giving me some uh, pressure to live up to. We'll, we'll see how I do with it. I'm actually, I uh, just got to uh, our hotel or my hotel in uh, uh, San Diego uh, for an event. And you landed 15 minutes ago and scurried to find a quiet room so that we could record. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. So thanks for making time for this and for our listeners. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to digging into a lot of different topics with you today. Well, Austin, why don't we just start by telling us about Atomics? What is it and what do you do? So Atomics Logistics, so we are actually based in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We are a modern 3PL. We predominantly provide order fulfillment services for e-commerce brands that are going from the, the launch, grow, scale. So from the first day of creating a website all the way to the 10,000 to 20,000 orders a month. We've taken a little differentiated approach um, that I'm sure we'll get into our model. It's a, a essentially a warehouse and a warehouse concept. Well, let's go right there then. This this idea of micro-fulfillment or warehouse and a warehouse, what do you mean by that? We'll take a, a step back from that even. So when I first started the company uh, back in August of 2020, I was fortunate enough to have uh, some warehouse space from my father's company, who was also in the logistics industry, but it was very limited. Uh, we had about 500 square feet. So from the beginning of starting uh, we would really think about maximizing square inches because uh, we had to. After going, like getting our first few customers and, and working with them and implementing Slack on our customer service and really thinking through our operations at a granular level like that, almost one day it, it hit us as, hey, when we think about scaling, can we essentially continue to open up these mini warehouses within our facility? And there's a few primary reasons of, of the benefits of it. And then when we kind of even take a, a next step further, when we think five, seven years down the line, it's, hey, we'll have our main hubs throughout the United States. And then with the end goal of looking at the most densely populated cities, your Chicago, your um, New York, um, and to continue to essentially replicate these models 
as standalone facilities as well. And for us, there's a big important piece to it is the relationship we have with the brands. So a big pain point in the industry is around customer support. And whether it's working with customer support that's outside the warehouse, or even if they are within the warehouse, the delay in time, whether it's a day, two days, three days, that's uh, just too long in e-commerce. So we said, hey, let's cut out any potential slowness. And what I mean by that is we call them our pod managers. They're a hybrid warehouse manager, CX specialist that is doing the picking and packing in the warehouse work, but also uh, speaking directly with our clients. And, and it's been interesting to fulfill an RN to fill those roles because uh, it takes a little unique skill set. Ultimately, it provides ownership for our warehouse managers to dedicate them to a space in our warehouse and then also to a group of brands. And it's been really cool to see. And then to get a little deeper in, uh, we can expand on this later around the efficiency side too. So the, I'm always thinking with our team here is how do we balance the two sides? And I oversimplified and, and generalized that, hey, logistics is, is all focused around efficiency and systemization. And there's a lot of principles that we can take from that. But when we were starting the company, we said, hey, let's take a step back. Like, let's certainly value that and apply those principles. But let's also not forget about the customer experience piece to it. I, I previously worked in an e-commerce brand and also was covering the e-commerce and retail industry as a financial analyst uh, before that. And one of the, the kind of trends um, in the industry was around kind of the, the warehouses becoming bigger and bigger. And um, there's a lot of reasons for that. And it's, uh, it's a use case for a lot of larger companies is we thought through, hey, what do e-commerce brands care the most about? That's really how we started developing the model with them, like with our first customers, like truly asking them, hey, what do you like about this? And then we'll, we apply the kind of same principles to as we build out our software as well here. Well, the efficiency thing stands out to me. For those who don't know, 500 square feet is barely larger than the footprint of a 53-foot trailer. So if you've been able to successfully optimize and use that size of a space to get started, as you start having more and more opportunities and more and more space, that frugality should serve you really well because the 500,000 or million square foot facilities that are out there and being built right now aren't built for the small or mid-market e-commerce customers. They're built for you know much larger enterprise level operations. And yet the smaller ones really do want that direct connection to who's actually fulfilling their orders. So to, for someone to say, I can talk to the person who's picking my orders right now while you likely can't scale that to a billion dollars in revenue, maybe you can, but you can unquestionably win on quality and responsiveness in that niche of the industry. And it's interesting you even bring up the, the billion dollar number to it because interesting for two reasons. One, I don't think I've ever told anyone this, not even on our team. I had something when I, when I was starting the company as it's not all about the kind of financial side to it, but I would have this acronym. It's BBC. It's uh, Bootstrap Billion Dollar Club. And I would essentially see that. And I've watched the industry. I've seen some hyper growth bootstrap companies and I admire them so much. And again, it, for me, it's as a lot of people that have listened to you on your podcast, like, yes, the financial side is something we need as resources to grow. But it's such an interesting perspective to find the outliers, to, to find the creative ways to do marketing, to build technology with limited resources. So that's on one hand. And then on the second hand, why, why it's interesting is we're in a space today where, again, when we talk about our micropod model, 
it really is a concept for us. It's not a cut and dry, hey, it's 500 square feet, it's 1,000 square feet, and this is how many brands go into it. Because there are different variables that when we're talking with brands based on how many SKUs they have, based on their quantity, based on their order volume, and, and these different metrics that we have to analyze, it's evolving on our end. And whether that looks like in five years of, of having this as a 50% of our warehouse and have traditional filament on the other side, it'll be interesting. And I think that goes back to, to my principle around not necessarily obsessing with like that initial idea of like, hey, this is about me and we're doing this no matter what, like wherever it takes us. And it's like, for us, I'm like, hey, is that going to get us to $10 million or $50 million or $100 million? I'm not really sure, but we're planning even on like the software side of how do we sell our software? We're building it for ourselves for several reasons of things that we didn't like in the industry and things that uh, we used a, a WMF for a year and a half and it took a lot of things out of it to improve it. And um, for us, it's like, yeah, are we going to turn into more of a SaaS model where we're selling that as a service to other independent e-commerce brands or to other independent 3PLs? And I'm going to 100% steal the BBC acronym. Now I'm going to go on my own personal quest to try to identify in our industry every BBC that exists try to get them to share their knowledge with our listeners because they've likely seen more than just about anybody. If you can get to a billion dollars bootstrapping, you're in the rarest of error. Thank you for that. I'm going to steal that. The other thought that comes to my mind is in every culture and civilization throughout history, they've all landed on a couple of themes of what they worship or what they really, really chase more than anything else. And I've maybe quoted this before on the show, but for the ancient Greeks, it was all about knowledge. Everything was built around the pursuit of knowledge. And for Rome, it was about glory, gladiator, and that type of celebrated figure. As I listen to you, and I can relate to so much of what you're talking about, for the operators and the engineering types in logistics, maybe what we worship is efficiency. I have days where there's not a spare minute because I have jam-packed full every spare moment in the pursuit of accomplishing something. And it's super gratifying. You can't do it forever because you burn out, but it is, those are some of the days that I look back on with the most pride, like a sense of internal pride that I didn't waste any time today. I was productive. And that comes with a whole bunch of downsides too, but can you relate to that? I really can. And some of the initial thoughts that come to my mind is the amount of time that my COO and I have walked through, whether it's it's in an Excel sheet through looking at it from a, a theoretical standpoint, or whether it's physically mapping out different styles or ideas or concepts that we either recently learned about or we recently watched in a YouTube video or we recently talked to a consultant and in walking through that. And that's one of the and I'll take this on a tangent, which I'm pretty known for. That is is something that I was honestly very surprised about when I was first getting into the logistics industry. Quick tangent on that is my family's been in the logistics industry since 1998 when my father uh, started a last mile carrier with his brother and their business partner. And I was, I was around it and, and familiar with it. And I think that's where I get some of my entrepreneurial elements in, in my DNA kind of from him and seeing that. But it's not the sexiest industry and growing up and I was like, hey, I'm going to run a transportation business. And with how my story evolved of working at an e-commerce brand for a year, it was a 15-person company. Coming back home at the beginning of the pandemic, 
essentially had my worlds collide of, of the e-commerce and, and logistics side. And that's what was the kind of the start to getting into it. And now that I've been deeper into the industry, just so attracted to that because I love thinking deep about different variables and impacts and, and improvement. And like I said, I mean, it was almost natural in a way, like I thought nothing of it of like, hey, we're thinking about inches in this because it was like, hey, that's all we have. Like that's like we don't have much to work with. So we got to we got to make this work. And a side note on that is we had to get shipping containers outside of the that first warehouse because we weren't ready to move to our next warehouse. Just going through like that process of like just kind of figuring it out. Long story short, I, I can relate to that. Certainly. We'll be right back. Have you heard about Bitfreighter and the EDI revolution? Bitfreighter helps companies automate communication with their freight partners through unlimited messaging and quoting. Traditional providers can't say that. The Bitfreighter team is also available 24-7 and responds immediately by phone, email, or yes, even text. Legacy providers can't say that either. So if you want to scale your operations to save time and money, come join the EDI revolution with us. Visit bitfreighter.com to get started today. Well, I can tell your mind literally just doesn't stop working. I sometimes think of logistics as like a daily Sudoku puzzle that is on the most complex level possible. It's not like nine by nine, it's you know 900 by 900. And very, very rarely do you solve it perfectly. Every once in a while, you have a day where everything just clicks. And then you wake up the next morning and the puzzle's erased and there's a whole bunch of new pieces and you have to start all over and do it again. But it lends itself to... I can already tell that you have this, this desire, an, an innate desire for learning and curiosity. I would agree and even take a step further of like being in the, the world of entrepreneurship and, and bootstrap in the early stages, you almost have to be and, and you have to love that because whether it's a, a two month journey to finding your first few customers or a few years to figure out a concept is, is you have to know at the end of the day that the value that you have throughout that journey at an extreme minimum, even if it is failure, that experience of, of learning and being interested in it is so fundamental. And, and again, a tangent to that is there's a local college in Milwaukee and it's called Marquette. My One of my younger brothers actually goes there. Uh, I was speaking to their supply chain club. One of the primary reasons trying to get some interns because we have one intern from uh, Marquette and he is he's very smart, knowledgeable, and has been incredible to honestly just work with us. We got him all of August, but now he's back to school. And I'm, I'm like, all right, can we get this guy in full time? But I was over there speaking with him. I was hearing one of their professors talk, and he is, uh, speaks a lot more eloquently uh, than myself. But um, when he was talking, I mean, Marquette's a, a top five supply chain, or they're ranked in the top five across all colleges. And to even just like sit out there and, and see, there was 40 to 50 students there. And I had the freshmen raise their hand, a few freshmen. And I'm like, hey, whether you guys are here for the free pizza or whatever it might be, the fact that you're showing like a little curiosity and interest in this, like that's how you, you approach it. And, and that's how I honestly approach these internships is um, it's predominantly around operations because um, that's where the, the students have the background in. But I tell them of like, hey, we have four main business departments on our end. This is how I look at an internship over a few months. But at the end of the day is you guys sit down with me. Let's create goals where you guys create goals, bring them to me, and then I'll create objectives of how we'll reach those. Because at the end of the day, when we learn the most, when we enjoy the most, it's, it's things that we're interested in. So there's no benefit to both sides if they're doing things that they don't like doing at all. 
So I can tell that you, your favorite things to work on then likely are solving those technical, spatial, mathematical problems. How about on the people side? How do you balance that desire for solving the puzzle with managing and leading people who are anything but rational or logical sometimes? It's a constant balancing game. And, and I feel like that's a kind of fundamental truth to life, whether it's work and hobbies or work and family. It truly is constantly balancing because, as you mentioned, the operational pieces and even the technology pieces to it are are so fascinating. I can sit down and, and think about them for hours. I had an interesting background where I went out to boarding school after my sophomore year of high school and then ultimately played uh, lacrosse in college. And one thing that I knew there was parallels um, to it of, of sports and, and teams to working in companies. But until I've, I've been in more of a leadership position here at Atomics and hiring a team and, and, and looking for people and growing from a few people eight months ago to around 20 today, I really fall back to the things that I've learned just by working or by playing sports like with teams. Because, yeah, there is, you're always going to have different things thrown at you, whether it's someone feeling sick for a day or someone quitting or um, someone that you thought that, hey, they're going to be great at this role based on how we interviewed them. And it's like, oh, wait, this is completely different. It's like, all right, how do we take that and make sure that we don't miss that in like the next hiring? And so, so it's, it's constantly that learning process. And around the people side, I mean, I, yeah, we think about it a ton. I mean, it comes down to, I think, one primary thing with bootstrap limited resources, because it's different if I can go to market and give a hundred, two hundred thousand dollar salaries, then, then hey, I'm picking from a different just kind of market in general. And, and so you have to find people that really care about whether it's curiosity or learning or building a company and ultimately the right cultural fit. It's a cliche of, hey, if I was sitting at an airport, would I want to be at the airport for 30 minutes with this person? And I think that's one thing that you really have to balance throughout it. I mean, at times, hey, we we just have to make hires because we have to fulfill roles or fill roles and and make it happen. But I think that's where I've found the best success with some of our employees. You mentioned lacrosse. My 14-year-old son started lacrosse this year for the first time. Wonderful sport. Very much enjoy it. It's incredibly violent. And I didn't expect that a lot of the things that are legal are actually legal. I couldn't believe it. But maybe my favorite part of lacrosse is that none of the parents argue with the refs because none of us understand the rules. We had, we had the exact same experience growing up. My older brother and I were on one of the first lacrosse teams in Wisconsin. We, to your uh, comment about violent sports, that was uh, honestly our bread and butter. Like I growing up, I played uh, football played hockey like all throughout high school. And, and those are the sports I loved. And uh, we stumbled upon lacrosse through a family friend. And for us, it was the, the the merging together of concepts from other sports, whether it's it's basketball, whether it's soccer, there's a lot of similarities to it. Definitely the violence of hockey or football. But yeah, we no one knew what the sport was. I mean, my dad to this day still is, is trying to grasp the concept after he has a few uh, kids in, uh, that played in college. It's neat getting to see the sport grow just because I'm a little bit of a history buff and I try to learn random trivia. Lacrosse, Wisconsin is probably halfway between where you are and where I am. I don't remember the name of it, but it's called like the Earth's Game or something like that. It's one of the first nations in the U.S. that kind of invented the sport. And it's, so it's actually the oldest sport in North America. 
Exactly. It was, it was originally started by Native Americans. And not many people uh, necessarily know that. And for us, it was it was so interesting because it is very popular on the, the East Coast and it gained more popular in the West Coast. And yeah, over the past 10 to 12 years, it's it's been really great because I have a strong passion for it. Great to see the just increase of teams and knowledge and coaches and talent to the Midwest. It's still definitely uh, overlooked in, in some capacity. It's starting to make a name for itself. And, and at first, I think it uh, one of the tipping points for it was uh, Denver won the, the national championship five to seven years ago. Uh, I might totally butcher that. No one's going to fact check us, Austin. I think we're going to be okay. We could just start making stuff up. I mean, this is the podcast where you come for the founder, come for the logistics, stay for the questionable trivia. Another question for you then on the people side, how would your team or others close to you describe your energy? How do you show up every day? Two things come to mind first. Well, the first is uh, recently I haven't been sleeping at the warehouse. That was uh, probably a, a six to eight months ago. And that's just an example of it's. it was the reality uh, just starting the company and, and working with close family and friends and truly doing whatever it took. And if it, if it took a late night and I'm like, I don't want to drive 45 minutes back to my house and I can stay here and, and just get right back at it. It's like, hey, that's what it's going to take. Hopefully we're successful at some point in the future. But that's my nature. Like I love that. And then maybe I talk about it because I like it too much. That's my nature on, on that point is they know I'm going to show up every single day, whether it's uh, whether I'm traveling like I am here um, in San Diego. They know they'll be receiving several emails or, or Slack messages. I don't stop. I don't stop for several reasons. One is, yes, I want to make this company successful. I want to do something with the business, but I also want to make each other around us better. I think for me, brings me to the second point on it. It was, it was interesting. This morning, I walk in, uh, I was at the warehouse for an hour, and we've had a, a, a warehouse employee work with us for about four months now. I mean, every single day he shows up. Like I, He is such a fascinating mind. Like he was, a, he was a part-time school teacher, has incredible work ethic, and just understands like life that when I first talked to him, like his energy was contagious. And he was talking to me, he wears headphones every single day, these Beats headphones. He just happened to bring it up to me or someone else and that he lost them at the warehouse. And I was like, all right, let's get you a new one. When I was talking to our other marketing team member that morning as well, there's like, yeah, not to give you any more credit, but Rod was telling me this morning about how much like he appreciated how much you, you kind of give to him and and the genuineness. And, and and I think, I mean, for me, it's like, I, I've been lucky to grow up with awesome parents and around incredible people, whether it's on sporting teams or to be given opportunities from coaches. And I don't know, I just think that's how I am. And I think at the end of the day, it's like, hey, that, that'll win in the long run. It's like, if I care deeply about the people around us, like they're going to care deeply about the company and Q4 comes around and we're putting in 12 hour shifts, like, hey, I can count on these guys. I'm glad to hear it. It also makes me realize that eight months ago when I was trying to get you on the podcast, it wasn't that you were ignoring me. It's you were probably sleeping next to pallets in the warehouse and you literally didn't have time. I feel a lot better now. Austin, where can people find you if they want to reach out? Anywhere. Uh, personally, on, on my LinkedIn, my email is austin at atomicslogistics.com. Reach out uh, on our website, atomicslogistics.com. Uh, that's A-T-O-M-I-X logistics. Yeah. And we're on all social media too. Twitter is still super powerful, everybody. That's how Austin and I got to meet. Now we're doing a, a podcast together. We follow each other on LinkedIn. Grow your network, grow yourself. I guess I'll say it a thousand times. These conversations happen because 
people are putting themselves out there online and other people are picking up what they're putting down. And Austin, I'm just so grateful to get the chance to meet you and pick your brain. I know there's a lot more there that we could go in. Unfortunately, it's only a you know 45-minute podcast or 30 minutes most times, but you and I will have to keep talking. Folks, please thank you again for listening. Subscribe to the show. Of course, you can join the conversation online. I'm at Logistics Twit. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Check out the other FreightWaves podcasts in the FreightCast section. Austin, keep up all the good work. We're rooting for you. Thanks for listening to another founder share their story on the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics. If you'd like to become part of the story yourself, please subscribe to our show and leave a review. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.